Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Reading from Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged place becomes a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord breathes on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd, He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot, He looks for a skilled craftsman to set set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He he sits enthroned upon the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. 
He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, then he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We are going to be spending the month of December looking at the book of Isaiah and see answers that Isaiah gives to this question that is the title of our series, What Child Is This? As we've done for the last few years for the Christmas series, over the next few weeks I'm going to be collaborating with uh, some of our sister churches, with Lance Lorenz over at Pleasant Grove and Peter Moen over in Concord. Peter's parents are here, so they can tell you if I sound too much like Peter or something like that, uh, if that interests you. Uh, but we are going to be looking at Isaiah as we prepare our hearts, our minds for this season to celebrate the birth of Christ. And it might sound odd to hear that uh, we're going to be spending all of Christmas looking at a book from the Old Testament, but the message of the book of Isaiah is valuable because Isaiah's longing for things that can only be fulfilled in Christ. Isaiah is getting his audience to look ahead to the time when what they're dealing with will go away, when all things will be made new, and, and the questions that the people in Isaiah's day are wrestling with, the, the questions Isaiah is trying to answer are questions we wrestle with at all times, and they are always questions that are not dealt with fully until we deal with Christ. And so Isaiah helps us to see not only the story of Christmas, but why the story of Christmas matters. And if you want, just as a brief infomercial, if you find yourself over the next few weeks just wanting to hear from the Christmas story directly, the story of the nativity and all that. The Sunday school class that meets in this room during our Sunday school hour will actually be walking through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. They started today and we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. So if you find yourself just really hankering for Luke 1 and 2, you can get it that way, uh, either here in person or, or on our website. Um, so I'll, I'll put that plug in there. But 
I say that because my hope is that with those two things together, the story from the Gospels and the hope that Isaiah calls us to look forward to, we can focus our hearts and, and minds on this child who has come and has come to deliver us. And we begin that today with Isaiah chapter 40, which we've just heard Deb and Gail and Rich read for us. And if we're reading through the book of Isaiah, when we got to chapter 40, we would find that it is the start of a new section. It's pretty obvious that there's a shift in the book when we get to chapter 40, but that shift comes in direct response to the two chapters that have come before it. In chapter 38, we are told that Hezekiah, the king of Judah, is deathly ill. And so the prophet Isaiah goes to King Hezekiah and says, time to get your things in order because this sickness is going to lead to your death. I don't think Isaiah had great bedside manner. And so in response to that news, Hezekiah prays to God, asks for his healing, and miraculously he's healed. God comes to Isaiah and says, actually, Isaiah, go back to Hezekiah, tell him that he's not going to die, he's going to live 15 more days years. And as you might imagine, Hezekiah is overjoyed at this news. And so uh, the, the back half of Isaiah 38, Hezekiah composes this song of praise to God for what he's done, for this healing that he's experienced. Then we get to Isaiah 39, and Isaiah 39 is pretty brief, but we're told about uh, these messengers from the kingdom of Babylon that come. The king of Babylon has heard about Hezekiah's miraculous recovery. He says, hey, that sounds like good news. Just wanted to send you a gift, uh, well wishes to you because of this miracle that you've experienced. And Hezekiah is a gracious host. Uh, He invites these messengers in. He gives them the royal treatment. He shows them all the glory of Jerusalem and and the kingdom of Judah, and they go away and and the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, who, who were those people that just left? Hezekiah tells them they're, they're messengers from the king, kingdom of Babylon. And Isaiah says, well, there's a day coming when everything in this city, everything in this kingdom that you just showed these messengers from Babylon will be taken away. It's not going to happen in your life, Hezekiah, but your descendants will be sent into exile, taken out of this land that God promised to give his people and forced to live in Babylon. That is the message that ends that first major section of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has spent chapters and chapters preaching to the people, saying you need to get your things in order, you need to repent, you need to shape up, because if not is going to judge you and the people don't and now he says well one day it's all going to come to a head and Babylon is going to roll in they're going to carry the people and the riches and the glory of Judah away so if we're sitting and reading Isaiah we might get to the end of chapter 39 and think boy what comes next I mean what is the word after the worst news you could possibly imagine And maybe you're sitting here this morning wondering what the next word is for you. To my knowledge, none of you have been told that one day your descendants are going to be carried off to live in exile, but you might be able to resonate with those feelings because of whatever circumstances might be like for you or for those around you this morning. Uh, Maybe a test just came back positive. Maybe there's rumors of cuts coming at work. Maybe you're worried about how you're going to make ends meet throughout the holidays. Maybe there are days where you just wake up and stare at the ceiling and have no desire to even get out of bed. Maybe you just feel overcome with the weight of addiction 
and sin in your own life or in the life of someone that you love. For whatever reason, maybe you don't have good reason. Maybe you just find yourself feeling lost, confused, overwhelmed, uncertain, panicked, filled with grief or despair, feeling like you are just barely keeping it together and you're wondering what God's word is to you in that. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear that I think Isaiah has something to say to you. Because immediately after delivering this bad news that exile is on the way, Isaiah turns his gaze to the future. He looks ahead to those people who will go into exile, and as he sees their displacement, their suffering, their questions, he begins to speak to them. Because the message of God to his people does not end in judgment. It can't. It won't. Judgment is not the end of God's dealings with his people. And starting in Isaiah chapter 40 and extending through the rest of the book, Isaiah looks forward to what God is going to do on the other side of exile. God will not leave his people in Babylon. He will deliver them out of exile and will bring them into all that he has created them to be. And that message begins in Isaiah 40. One of my professors has said that it's helpful to picture this chapter that we've heard read for us this morning as if Isaiah is giving us one side of the conversation as he answers the questions that he imagines God's people sitting in exile might have. And that's why we broke our reading down into three sections this morning, because he answers three questions. Because these are people who are hurting and suffering and waiting for God to do something. And Isaiah has a word for them. And if you're hurting, suffering, asking questions this morning, Isaiah 40 has a message for you as well. The first question that Isaiah answers in verses 1 to 11 is, does God want to deliver? If you can imagine uh, sitting in exile, you might picture wondering if God wants anything to do with you anymore. I mean, maybe God has just given up. I mean, uh, he spent centuries sending prophets to us, and the prophets reminded us time and time again that, hey, if you don't start keeping the law, if you don't start worshiping God and God alone, that one day an army is going to come in and take you into exile, and now that's happened. So what now? Has God just given up on us? Is the story over? Is that covenant he established with our ancestor Abraham null and void? Maybe he has just given up. Maybe he just doesn't want to deliver anymore. Once when I was in college, I had a friend that needed help moving a couch for someone in their church, and so he was going around rounding up people with nothing to do and to get them to come and help, and I had nothing to do, so I had gotten roped into the situation, and and I remember he went into one room and asked someone, hey, you know, this is what's going on, can you come help us? And he's, and the, the person responded, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't think so. And the conversation went back and forth for a little while, and it became obvious the person had, you know, nothing else going on, they weren't busy, they didn't have anything like that, and and it went back and forth, and pretty soon they just owned up to it, and they said, I, I could, I, I just don't want to. And as God's people are sitting in exile, they're wondering if maybe God has the same answer. I mean, maybe God's capable of helping, available to help, and there's just no desire. 
And I don't know what weight you might be carrying with you this morning. Maybe you're putting on a brave face right now, so no one knows what weight you are carrying. But underneath that smile, you are wondering, does God even care? Maybe I've done too much, gone too far. Maybe God is looking at me and saying, yeah, I could do something, I just don't want to. I mean, if he did want to help, surely he would have answered a prayer by now. He would have given some evidence that something was going to happen, but instead, there's been nothing, and here you are, feeling like you are in exile, wondering what, if anything, ever can or will be done to deliver you. And God's answer to that question, to the people of Israel and to us, it begins with comfort. To people that are hurting people wondering if God cares. His word is comfort, and that word is delivered because God has not given up on his people. If you notice in verse 1, it says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. When you read through the Old Testament, God's relationship to his people is often summarized by God saying, you will be my people, and I will be your God. There's that personal language and now as God's people are in exile that that has not changed he is not a God who is just one option among many out there somewhere he is not the God who is ruling impersonally from on high he is your God and he calls you my people and for that reason he comes to bring comfort he comes to bring comfort because He has dealt with sin. And that statement's not made to minimize the reality of sin. God is not saying he swept it under the rug. He is saying that he has taken care of the problem that the people could not have taken care of for themselves. He says, you had gotten yourself in the mess. There was nothing you ever could have done to get yourself out of it. But you don't have to worry about that anymore because I have dealt with it. And God is on his way to deliver. And so Isaiah tells the people to get ready, remove all obstacles, get anything and everything out of the way that might slow down God's arrival. If I can paraphrase the language of verses 4 and 5, Isaiah says, build an interstate so that God can get here as quickly as possible. And that might not seem like as big of an ask in our day today. I mean, every time I make the drive from my house to the church here, I drive through valleys that have been raised up and mountains that have been made low, so to speak, because Highway 52 is a four-lane highway. But Isaiah is speaking to people who don't have dynamite and heavy machinery. And so in the ancient world, when you heard the king was on the way, you do everything you could to make your roads as ready as possible. You smooth them out, and that is a massive undertaking. And Isaiah is saying God is on his way, and he's on his way like a conquering king coming to bring comfort to the city. So get ready. But just in case we find the image of a king writing in intimidating we get a description of what this king looks like in verses 10 and 11 in verse 10 we're given a description of his strength he comes in power he rules with a mighty arm we might say in our day today that god is rolling up his sleeves so that he can get to work so he can do something he is bringing reward and recompense reward for his people recompense for his enemies That's language used to describe God at the Exodus. When God frees his people out of slavery, he brings reward to his people as he delivers them into freedom. He brings recompense for those that have oppressed his people for centuries. This king is coming in power. But in verse 11, he is also coming with gentleness. 
He comes like a shepherd, gently guiding his sheep, picking up young lambs that are struggling to walk and cradling them like a mother cradles an infant. And we need both of those things if we are truly going to be delivered. When you're in exile, you might want someone who is strong enough to defeat your enemies and bring you freedom, but someone that is just all power might crush you in the process as well. You might want someone who is gentle and kind, someone who will sit next to you and and give you a shoulder to cry on and put their arm around you and say, everything is going to be okay. But, But if they can't actually do anything to make your situation better, it's not going to be all that helpful. And Isaiah says our God does both of those things simultaneously. He is powerful enough to save us and gentle enough to heal us. So does God want to deliver? Absolutely. He's not forgotten about his people. He has not given up on them. He is on his way to bring deliverance like a king on his way to save his people. And when he shows up, he will defeat any and all enemies and he will lead his people gently like a shepherd into freedom. God wants to deliver. And God wants to deliver you. He's not forgotten about you, your family, your loved one. He wants to deliver. But maybe we can picture the second question flowing right out of that. And that second question is, well, if God wants to deliver, can he deliver? I mean, sure, it's great that he wants to, but is he able to? Because there is a difference between wanting to do something and being able to do something. If I wanted to fly right now, it does not matter how badly I want to fly because it's not going to change the fact that I can't. And maybe, as the Israelites sit in exile, they are wondering the same thing. I mean, that's great God hasn't forgotten about us. That's great that he would like to do something for us, but... Is he able to actually do anything for us? I mean, Babylon rolled into Jerusalem and they wiped the city off the map. They took everything. The temple is gone. What does that mean? I mean, in the thinking of the ancient world, that communicates pretty clearly that the gods of Babylon are more powerful than the God of Israel. And so if God is actually able to deliver us, you would think he would have done something. If he actually is powerful, he would have stopped us being sent into exile, and if he wasn't able to do anything then, why should we think he's able to do anything now? And maybe you're wondering the same thing. It's great we have these stories in the Bible of God doing great things. It's great that I hear stories of incredible things happening in the lives of other people, but when is it going to happen to me? If he wants to deliver, then where is it? If God loves me and wants good things for me and my family, why aren't we experiencing it? Is God not able to deliver me? If God wants to deliver me from sin, why do I keep getting pulled back into it? If God wants me to have joy, why do I keep getting sucked into the cloud of depression and anxiety? Is God able to do anything or am I just left to figure it out on my own? And Isaiah answers that question by giving us these images that offer just a glimpse at the sheer immensity of God. Isaiah says God is so big, it is like he holds all the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. Think about how much water you could fit in the palm of your hand right now, and that is what all the waters of the earth look like to God. 
Isaiah says God is so big, it's like he can measure the entire universe by taking the distance from his pinky to his thumb. If you can think about how far that is to you, and that is what the entire universe looks like to God. He says that God is so big, he can fit all the dust of the earth like in a picnic basket to carry with him. God is so big, he can take any mountain or hill on the face of the earth and put it on his bathroom scale to try to get a rough estimate of how big it is. God is bigger than we could ever imagine. And God is wiser than we could ever imagine. God never has to consult a second opinion. He never has to have someone else double-check his work. He never has to go and pull a book off a shelf because he thought he remembered reading something one time, but he can't exactly remember what it said, so he needs to check again. That has never happened for our God. And this is the God who rules all things at all times perfectly in every way and needs no for that task and this is the God who has said he wants to deliver us and for that reason we should come to him as he is and we should view things from his perspective because compared to him every nation that has ever existed is like a drop in a bucket if you can imagine you probably haven't done recently because it's cold but if you were watering plants in your yard or something like that and you were filling up a watering can and as you're doing that a drop or two splashed out onto the ground next to your watering can my guess is if you notice it at all you don't think of it as as a big deal and Isaiah says God looks at every nation that has ever existed like how you look at that drop out of a bucket the Israelites might look at Babylon as this unstoppable war machine that has wiped out their people and their nation, and God looks at Babylon and says, yeah, it's like a drop that's splashed out of my watering can. Isaiah wants us to see who God is, and and once we see who God is, we see that he is to be worshipped with everything we have because he deserves it all. Isaiah refers to the forests of Lebanon in in the world around the ancient Israelites, the forests of Lebanon were the most incredible, magnificent forests you could imagine. And Isaiah says, if you went to Lebanon and you cut down every tree in that forest and you slaughtered every animal you could find and offered all of it as sacrifices to God, it would not be enough. He rules all things. He's worthy of all praise for all time. He has no peers. No one stands alongside him. And this is the God who has said that he will deliver us. And if this is who our God is, why would we ever look anywhere else? Isaiah says the gods of the Babylonians are pieces of metal and wood. They've been built by humans. They have to put chains on them to keep them in place from tipping over. If a God is so weak it can't even keep itself from falling over, why would you ever think you could trust it for anything else? Why would we ever think anything else could help us? Can God deliver more than we could ever imagine? Nothing else will ever bring true, lasting deliverance. We might not be asking the question this morning of whether or not God is more powerful than the gods of Babylon, but we ask the questions of whether or not God is more powerful than our bank accounts, our political parties, our good behavior, our health, our accomplishments, whatever else it might be, we might look to them instead of God to deliver us and think maybe that will be better. Yet anything else we might ever look to for deliverance 
will ultimately fail. God can deliver, and only he is able to deliver fully. And we trust in him and him alone. We don't trust in him as long as things go as we think they should go. We trust in him because he is fully willing and fully able to bring deliverance. So Isaiah has shown us that God wants to deliver, that he can deliver. The last question is, will God deliver? How can I know that this sort of deliverance is going to come for me? If God is promising to do all these things, what is this deliverance supposed to actually look like? I mean, is it just talk or is there something more to the story? Someone can make you as many promises as they want, but my guess is that sooner or later you're going to want some sort of evidence that they can deliver on those promises. If someone came to you and said they were going to give you a massive lump sum of cash, they said, don't worry about it, it's going to be a whole bunch of money one day, I'll get it to you, I just have to get a few things in order. They could tell you that maybe once or twice and you'd be excited, but the longer that went on, the more questions you would have about like how much money it is, are they actually going to give it to you, when are they actually going to give it to you, questions like that. Is there more to this than just talk? And if you're in exile, you want more than talk. If you're hurting, diseased, struggling, anxious sooner or later, you want more than someone's patting you on the shoulder and saying, hey, one day things will get better. So the Israelites are wondering if God will take that extra step. And to answer that question, Isaiah ends with this assurance that God rules over all and nothing will get in his way. He is on the move to deliver his people. He is the everlasting God. He has no beginning or end. He doesn't grow tired. He doesn't have to sit down and take breaks. He knows infinitely more than we could ever hope to understand. But all this talk about how great and powerful and strong God is does not end by saying, this is who God is, be impressed by him. It ends by saying that this is who God is. He is able to deliver us into new life with him, and it's life like we've never experienced before. This is not just about God. It is about what God invites us into. Verse 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint, which is an incredible promise. I've had the experience of being at camp the last few years and seeing that all kids, no matter how energetic they are, at some point in the week they hit a wall where they get faint and tired, and they usually hit that wall far, out, far after I have hit that wall. But no matter how energetic a kid is, they eventually get tired. If nothing else, by the time you get in that van to come home, they are weary. But Isaiah says that the deliverance of God is that those who hope in the Lord are sustained at all times, in all places. So will God deliver? Without question. He will come to bring strength to the weary, hope to the distressed, joy for the sad, freedom for the oppressed. And if you find yourself entering this Christmas season feeling like your circumstances don't match the joy of the season, know this, if you know nothing else, God is not done with your story. He cares for you. He wants to deliver you into life with him. And that's the message of Isaiah 40. And yet if we're reading Isaiah 40 just on its own, it can feel like something is lacking. I mean, 
Isaiah says that God wants to deliver, that he can deliver, that he will deliver, but he never answers the questions of when and how exactly all of this deliverance is going to come about. We're told that one day this exile is going to end, and if we keep reading in the Old Testament or just in history in general, we see that one day the exile does end. God's people come back into the land he had promised to give them, but it's not quite the same as it was before. And it's really not long. Sure, Babylon's out of the picture, but other foreign armies come in and rule over them. And so sure, the exile's over, but it sure feels like the deliverance Isaiah was looking forward to has not yet fully come, or if it has, it sure isn't as great as Isaiah said it would be. And then we turn over to the story of Jesus. And as we start reading the Gospels, we are told that before the arrival of Jesus, there was John the Baptist who comes to call God's people to repent and to be baptized, to get ready because God is on his way to free his people. And as we read about John the Baptist, you can read about him in Matthew chapter 3, in Mark chapter 1, in Luke chapter 3, and in all three of those chapters, as we're reading all three of those writers quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 3 to 5, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all want us to see that John the Baptist is this voice from Isaiah 40 who is calling in the wilderness, announcing that God is on the way, calling God's people to get ready for God to show up. So if we're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke with Isaiah 40 in mind, there should be a growing sense of anticipation. If we're reading it, we're thinking, okay, this is the messenger of Isaiah 40. Whoever comes after John must be God himself showing up to deliver his people fully and finally. And we look... And there's a carpenter from Nazareth who comes and is baptized by John. And that might not look exactly like what we were picturing when we thought about God being on the way to deliver his people. But it's there. It's there that God's work of delivering his people into life with him God's work to restore all things begins. And if the arrival of this deliverer does not look like what we were expecting, that probably means that the deliverance we're looking for might end up looking different as well. Because when you're in exile, when you're in pain and suffering, you want immediate physical deliverance. And that's understandable. I mean, if you're dealing with financial troubles, if that's the problem, the solution you want is more money in the bank account. At least I assume. If you're dealing with a disease, the problem you want fixed is for the disease to go away. And yet, that is not the deliverance we find Jesus bringing, at least not right away. I mean, We might want someone to come and slow down inflation. We might want someone to do something about the war in Ukraine. We might want broken relationships to be healed. We might want tension to ease for joy to come back instead of sadness, hope instead of despair. Instead, we get news that a child has been born in Bethlehem. But this child is the child of deliverance. He has not come to bring short-term deliverance, but deliverance from the powers of sin and death that are behind all of the other problems we deal with, all the things we want delivered from each and every day. Before we need deliverance from anything else, we need deliverance from sin and death. 
And if we are delivered from sin and death, that means that everything else we might want delivered from will one day be done away with as well. And that deliverance comes from this child. He has come to deliver us through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and the promise that he will one day return and make our deliverance complete. If you feel like you are sitting in exile this morning, there is hope on the way. Your deliverer is coming. Born in a manger in Bethlehem. No matter who you are, no matter what you are going through, come and experience the deliverance that this child brings. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. That you have sent your son to deliver us from sin and death. These powers that have oppressed us ever since Genesis chapter 3. God, forgive us for when we look elsewhere for deliverance. Help us to trust in you and you alone. So that we may be fully delivered into life with We ask this because of and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 